Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training in Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Crystal, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Workshop update on CAR T cell therapy. Now, this is really a very, a very important area um, that I know you all want to hear about. It's, it's, uh, it's something that um, has been. Is, is, is considered new and it's actually very exciting in terms of a treatment option for people. Today's program is a collaborative effort between uh, uh, Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And I also want to say that the, today's program is supported by the Celgene Corporation, Gilead, and Novartis Oncology, and I really want to thank them for their support. Now, we have a lot of you on the call today. There are over 201 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have a number of international participants on the call today. And I'm going to read out the countries, uh, Canada, Egypt, Germany, India, New Zealand, Norway, Russia, and Sweden. So really, uh, this is a global call to some extent, and, and we, we are delighted to have all of you on the call today. It, it really speaks highly about the topic and our speakers today as well. And we have the best speakers on this call today. And our first speaker is Dr. John Leonard. And Dr. Leonard is Senior Associate Dean for Innovation and Initiatives, Executive Vice Chair, Wild Department of Medicine. Richard T. Silver, Distinguished Professor of Hematology and Medical Oncology, while Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian. And Dr. Lennon will be addressing an overview of CAR T cell therapy, context of COVID-19, understanding CARs or chimeric antigen receptors, when to consider CAR T cell therapy as a treatment choice, clinical trials for CAR T cell therapy, and the benefits of CAR T cell therapy. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Leonard. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Messner, and it's a great pleasure to be here uh, today and to be part of this program, and I want to thank you and Cancer Care for all of the uh, work you do in this area. Uh, so the topic today of, of CAR T-cell therapy, I think, is a very, very important and exciting one. It is one that I think uh, one has to understand is rapidly evolving. Uh, CAR T cells are currently ap approved for certain types of patients with, or certain patients with certain types of B cell lymphomas as well as uh, acute uh, lymphocytic leukemias. Uh, but CAR T cells are being studied and may in some cases be approved uh, before too long in diseases such as multiple myeloma, other types of B cell lymphomas, uh, they are uh, being studied in brain cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, uh, other types of tumors. And so whether or not they will uh, ultimately be used in these uh, other types of cancer uh, remains to be seen. But I think the fact that they are in clinical trials 
uh, highlights the fact that this type of therapy is one that over the course of the next certainly several years I think will continue to be studied and hopefully will be useful to more and more patients in, in different situations. So because uh, CAR T-cells are uh, approved uh, presently uh, for certain patients with B-cell lymphomas or, or leukemia uh, in certain types, uh, I just want to take a quick minute to give you the context of those diseases because before we get into CAR T-cells, one has to understand where one would uh, think about using a CAR T-cell uh, treatment today. So uh, lymphomas or B-cell lymphomas tend to fall into two main groups, one group being uh, indolent lymphomas. These uh, are commonly follicular lymphoma, also uh, marginal zone lymphoma, uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. These are the indolent lymphomas that some of you on the line may be dealing with or be familiar with. And these are typically chronic types of lymphoma that are treated typically over many years, sometimes with chemotherapy, sometimes with a drug called rituximab, an antibody treatment, which was the first immune-based treatment uh, really uh, commonly used to treat cancer, the first antibody treatment at least, which is a type of immunotherapy. Uh, and then there are a variety of other drugs. Uh, we, uh, a drug called lenalidomide is used for some of these, a drug called abrutinib or acalabrutinib uh, or xanabrutinib also uh, are used for certain types of B-cell lymphomas. So that's one group, the indolent or more chronic B-cell lymphomas. A second group is called the aggressive lymphomas. The most common of these is called diffuse large B-cell lymphomas. Sometimes these can transform or change to a more aggressive type uh, called transform lymphoma. Uh, and these are typically treated with chemotherapy. R-CHOP is one of the chemotherapy regimens that's used for some patients with these diseases. Sometimes more aggressive chemotherapy is used. There are other drugs that are sometimes approved. And stem cell transplants, particularly for relapsed uh, pa patients with relapsed aggressive lymphoma, are also uh, commonly uh, used in those situations. So those are the key uh, elements of B-cell lymphomas. And I will mention that CAR T-cell therapy is most applicable today for patients with relapsed aggressive lymphomas, less so for the indolent lymphomas, although uh, we will be hearing uh, about uh, new data uh, before too long, and Dr. Jacobson has been involved with these studies, uh, looking at uh, the possible role of CAR T cells for indolent lymphomas as well. Um, but primarily now for the FDA-approved situations, um, CAR T cells are approved for uh, certain types of aggressive lymphomas that have relapsed. The other category of, uh, uh, of tumor where CAR T cells are approved right now are uh, one of the CAR T cell products is approved for young patients with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, also called ALL, uh, in addition to diffuse large B cell lymphoma. So that uh, entity, ALL, is typically treated over a period of time with chemotherapy. Uh, often patients receive uh, stem cell transplants, usually uh, allogeneic stem cell transplants, meaning stem cell transplants from another person. Uh, and again, CAR T cells for a subset of these patients with recurrent uh, uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia may uh, in some cases be a, an appropriate or reasonable treatment. 
So it's important to keep in mind that that as of now, there are, and probably I would say for um, the foreseeable future, CAR T cells will not be used as the initial or the frontline therapy. As of now, and probably for uh, some time to come, uh, they will really only be appropriate to consider for patients who have had previous treatments and in the in certain settings where the diseases come back. So that's the big picture of where CAR T cells fit. Uh, I think the next question that comes up is, well, what is a CAR T cell? I think that um, so CAR T or CAR C A R um, stands for chimeric antigen receptor, and T cells are a subset of immune cells that are engineered uh, to basically fight a tumor, in this case lymphoma or leukemia, in a better way. And so the concept is, is that our bodies in a patient with cancer, the body makes immune responses against the cancer, but in the vast majority of cases, at least for patients where the cancer is growing or worsening, um, that Im the immune system of the person isn't sufficient to manage or to uh, eliminate those those cells. So the concept of a CAR T cell is that the T cells, these immune cells, circulate around in the blood. They can be removed from the blood through what's called a phoresis uh, or a fancy blood donation, basically using a machine. But it's basically a, a fancy blood donation, such as is used in some sorts of stem cell transplants. The T cells are removed. These T cells are immune cells that typically fight infections. But in this case, the T cells are then sent to a laboratory, typically uh, for the commercial products with a company, a company laboratory, and they are re-engineered. Genes and are introduced so that these T cells are better able to recognize tumor cells and have some components to the, the uh, structure of the T cell that make them more, uh, in one way or another, more uh, immune active. So the concept is, is that this is a way to rejigger these T cells or reinvigorate these T cells so that they are better able to fight a tumor cell. In the case of the, um, the approved uh, CAR T cell products, they are targeting something called CD19. CD19 is a protein with some similarities, some differences from CD20. CD20 is a target of rituximab, an antibody treatment many of you may be familiar with for B-cell lymphomas. CD19 is another protein on the surface of the lymphoma cells. And the idea is that the CAR T cells um, are reinfused like a fancy blood transfusion into the patient. Um, and they circulate around the body, go to the tumor cells, and those reinvigorated T cells are better able to fight the tumor cells. And th this can be a very effective form of treatment for certain situations. They are unfortunately not uh, universally effective, but um, they do make a big difference for a subset of patients. They also do have some side effects, and part of what Dr. Jacobson is going to describe to you is uh, some of the side effects of CAR T cells. And so um, the, to kind of recap the general procedure of giving CAR T cells, these are typically patients with relapsed B-cell lymphomas or B-cell acute lymphocytic leukemia, uh, again, typically aggressive lymphomas. 
the patient uh, undergoes a phoresis, a fancy blood donation. The T cells are removed. They're sent to a laboratory. And in the laboratory, uh, those cells are grown in, in the laboratory and essentially um, uh, reinvigorated to better react to uh, tumor cells. In this case, the CD19 uh, target is on the tumor cells. The patient then waits while, the, while this process is occurring, waits typically on the order of approximately two weeks. It can be shorter, it can be longer, but somewhere in the range of about two weeks. Um, the patient may uh, typically get more chemotherapy during that time to kind of make space for the T cells when they arrive. Uh, but this is a medium dose kind of, of chemotherapy typically, not a higher dose of chemotherapy typically. The patient then gets this, the T cells or the CAR T cell and this chimeric antigen re receptor or CAR refers to the uh, engineering of the T cells that makes them better able to, to uh, bind to and activate against the tumor cells. They are reinfused into the patient. They travel around the patient and uh, can um, essentially uh, induce the tumor to die off to, to some extent in, in many cases. So that's the general process. This is typically an inpatient process, although in certain situations and, and certain centers can also be done as an outpatient, although as you hear, will hear from Dr. Jacobson, uh, sometimes um, those, uh, the side effects require the patient to be monitored more closely as an inpatient, in part because certain medications often need to be administered. So how well does this work? Well, I would generally tell people with these uh, sorts of uh, 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 types of lymphoma or leukemia that if you have three patients undergoing this treatment, this will work extremely well for one of those three patients, meaning that that patient could go for years without the tumor coming back and may be even longer than that. That for one a second patient, so one out of the three, a very nice long longer remission. For one out of three patients, it works for a short period of time, meaning on the order of about six months or so. And for roughly one out of three patients, it doesn't work well at all. They, it doesn't doesn't do the job, and it works for a very short period of time or not at all. So one out of three sounds sounds good in some situations, not so good in other situations. But it's important to keep in mind that the patients who have been treated on the studies with, CAR, with these uh, CAR T cells and the patients who have um, uh, largely benefited to them to the extent that these are FDA approved, these are, uh, these are patients who have been through many other treatments, often stem cell transplants and intensive chemotherapy. And for many of the patients, um, they have limited other options. And so for something to, to have a reasonably um, possible chance of working, you know, more or less one out of three times quite effectively when the other options are, are quite limited, uh, this can be a very, very useful uh, option for this group of patients. Um, however, there is clearly room to go and room to improve, and that's why there are lots and lots of different clinical trials with newer versions of CAR T cells that we hope will work better and could be less uh, associated with side effects, 
and with combinations where drugs are being added to the CAR T cells to potentially make them work better. So I think we're in some in some ways in version kind of 1.0 of CAR T cells where they clearly are useful for a meaningful number of patients, but there is room for improvement, and I think we're all hopeful and optimistic that over the coming years we will continue to see uh, further improvements. So before I, I wrap up in a second, I just want to mention in a little more detail uh, the names of the two approved uh, CAR T-cells. One uh, is called Tizogen Leclusol or Kimria. This is an FDA-approved CAR T-cell therapy for patients with recurrent diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, as well as young adult patients with relapsed or refractory acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And then the second one called axicabdogene sillalusil, or Yescarta, is approved for certain types of B-cell lymphomas, including diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, transformed uh, uh, follicular lymphoma to diffuse large B-cell, and a few other uh, subtypes of these. And then there are certain others um, that are closer uh, to approval, uh, and are available uh, in in clinical trials. So again, I think this is a very uh, exciting and important new treatment option for patients with these types of lymphoma and leukemia. And again, they can be very meaningful for some of these patients where they had few other options and where this uh, work has worked very well. But still, room for improvement, room to try to make uh, them work even better. And again, remembering that as of now, these are just approved for patients with these subtypes of lymphoma. That being said, um, we've had data with another type of lymphoma called mantle cell lymphoma, other, other data coming along with follicular lymphoma. Again, all of these have been in patients not getting this as the first treatment, but as a second, third, or typically third, fourth, or, or later treatment, I should say. Um, but the point is that for right now, this is, these are treatments for these subtypes of lymphoma um, primarily or leukemia where the diseases come back uh, after prior treatment. That said, again, more data in other types of lymphoma coming along, as well as with other uh, constructs or other uh, types of CAR T cells. Also, again, data coming along in multiple myeloma, as well as a variety of other cancers where this is perhaps a little farther, um, but still uh, very uh, interesting and available in certain clinical trials. So with that, I will pause. Uh, and uh, I'll let uh, Dr. Messner introduce uh, Dr. Jacobson for the second portion of the discussion. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Leonard. That was superb and very, very informative to everybody and comprehensive about uh, CAR T cell therapy. And uh, I think everyone comes away with this with really some very important information that they can apply to themselves and to others. So thank you so much. Excellent. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Karen Elise Jacobson. Dr. Jacobson is Medical Director, Immune Effector Cell Therapy Program, Physician Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Assistant Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School. Dr. Jacobson will be addressing discussion of CAR T cell therapy and social distancing, managing potential treatment side effects in the context of COVID-19, special examples of how CAR T cell therapy contributes to oncology care, preparing for telehealth appointments, key questions to ask your healthcare team about CAR T cell therapy, and follow-up care, what to expect. 
it's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Jacobson. Thank you so much for, for having me, and thank you to everyone who's uh, called in uh, for uh, calling in and listening. Um, I think that you know I, a lot of what I'm going to discuss um, uh, touches upon how uh, the COVID-19 pandemic does um, uh, uh, does sort of meet questions regarding uh, cancer care, specifically vis-a-vis um, -vis CAR T cell therapy. I think it's important to understand and just to, to sort of call on um, or really just repeat or echo um, some of Dr. Leonard's remarks, which are, you know, the patients who are, who currently um, are eligible for the commercially FDA available CAR T cell products, uh, the you know, Kimraya, which was Tisogen Leclusal, and Yescarta, which is Axicaptogen Sililusal, are patients um, for whom uh, before CAR T-cell was available, we didn't have um, really very effective alternative options. Um, and so for that reason, uh, you know, Dr. Leonard and I were both talking before this call to say at both of our institutions, we really have not limited CAR T-cell therapy in the era of COVID-19 for patients because, these, because this is a therapy that offers something to these patients that th these patients didn't otherwise have. And, and it also treats diseases that can't wait several months for the COVID-19 pandemic to hopefully uh, ease up. And, um, and, uh, and so for that reason, CAR T-cell therapy is going along um, very, very similarly to how it went before, uh, before COVID-19. That being said, I think we, when we start talking about some of the side effects that we can experience with uh, CAR T-cell therapy, you'll see how each center that uh, treats patients with CAR T-cell therapy has had to, has had to adapt uh, to some extent. Um, so, you know, with all of the success of CAR T-cell therapy, do come some unique uh, side effects and toxicity profiles. And, uh, and for, for that reason, uh, many patients do receive their CAR T-cells in the hospital. Um, and so the first side effect that people can, can experience even within a couple of hours to a day after CAR T-cell infusion um, is something called cytokine release syndrome. And this is due to the activation and expansion of those CAR T-cells, those supercharged T-cells that are uh, binding to and, and, and uh, being activated by the tumor cells. And they release inflammatory substances in the blood that then activate other inflammatory cells, and you get this inflammatory cascade um, that, uh, that, that can really escalate quite quickly. Now, that's not that dissimilar to what happens when we fight, our body fights something like the flu, and not that dissimilar to what, people, what you might be hearing about how the body responds to coronavirus in terms of this inflammatory cascade. Um, and so the most common uh, symptom that people can get um, are, is a high fever and body aches and malaise and just feeling wiped out, um, which is very similar to what happens when you have the flu. But if this happens to a greater extent, um, it can cause people's blood pressures to drop, it can cause fluid to leak into the lungs and can even lead to some, uh, you know, a proportion of patients. Thankfully, it's, it's, it's getting better and better, and um, it's a minority of patients, but potentially needing um, care within an intensive care unit for blood pressure support or for um, uh, respiratory support for the lungs. And this uh, side effect sort of mirrors how you know how long it takes for the CAR T cells to expand and then reach their peak expansion and then come come down in numbers in the body, um, and usually typically lasts for about three to five days. Um, and for most patients, is totally reversible. So the CAR T cell numbers come down, the inflammation dies down, and patients recover. Um, but it is important to think about who we take to CAR T cell therapy because if someone has a weak heart, or someone has weak kidneys, or someone has a liver problem or a lung problem. 
they may be they may have less reserve to withstand some of these side effects. So that is something we take into account when we uh, treat patients. Now, if you think about it, if we bring someone into the hospital for CAR T cell therapy, and then we expect that you know upwards of 90% uh, of them will have a fever within the first three to five days of their infusion, but fever is the thing one of the things that we're worried about in terms of in terms of coronavirus presenting symptoms, um, we do uh, we we do run to a problem of how do we how do we consider what's going on in the patient and do they you know is is this a symptom of coronavirus or is this related to their CAR T cell therapy? And to get around around that question, uh, many centers who are doing CAR T cells have decided to test patients for coronavirus before they start um, the treatment with CAR T cells, just to, before they come into the hospital, just to make sure that when they have patients have their first fever or if they have their first fever with um, some fluid leaking into the lungs and some respiratory symptoms um, that we're not that we're that we feel that that's related to to CAR T cells and not to coronavirus. Um, the the other side effect that patients can get um, that usually happens a little bit delayed after the cytokine release syndrome is a neurologic toxicity, which is uh, seen most commonly with these CAR T cells that were described to you that target CD19, um, specifically in these aggressive lymphomas and in acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, we do see them with CAR T cells that target other tumor antigens. So, um, for instance, they have been described with... Uh, CAR T cells that target a, a tumor antigen called BCMA, which is uh, an antigen that's on the surface of a multiple myeloma cell um, and is the target for CAR T cells in multiple myeloma. But it, they happen, it happens much less frequently. And we don't totally understand what causes neurologic toxicity after CAR T cell therapy. Um, but we do know that it, it involves some degree of inflammation within the brain and the central nervous system. Um, and that can uh, cause patients to become forgetful um, and disoriented. Um, it can, uh, most commonly, it can cause patients to have difficulty with language, so either word-finding difficulty or difficulty speaking fluently or understanding languages and following commands. But in its most extreme state, can, can, can cause patients to become sleepy and what we call somnolent, which means difficult to arouse. Um, and when that happens, we do get a little bit worried about their ability, patients' ability to protect their airways from swallowing things into their lungs. And sometimes we do need to transfer patients in that setting to an ICU for closer observation. One other thing that can happen in the context of neurologic toxicity are seizures. And so we often do put patients on uh, anti-seizure medicines to try to prevent seizures in the setting of neurologic toxicity. Um, and usually this neurologic toxicity will happen around the tail end of cytokine release syndrome, so around day six or seven after CAR T-cell therapy, and its duration is more variable. So it can be as short as a, as a day or two, or it can be as long as uh, two to three weeks, depending on the patient. Um, and uh, but, but, but just like with cytokine release syndrome, um, for, for the vast majority of patients, it's completely reversible, and patients leave the hospital with, with their mental status intact. Um, but you can see that a lot of hospitals now have no visitor policies. And if we're saying that somebody's going to come into the hospital for one week, um, uh, for at least one week for observation after CAR T cell therapy, but likely for longer because if patients get neurologic toxicity on day six and then they're, they, they need to stay until that, those side effects subside, that this can be very difficult for friends and family um, and for the patient themselves to be socially isolated um, from their friends and family while they're in the hospital. 
hospital. We're very lucky to live in an era of FaceTiming and Skype and Zoom calls, um, but it can it can be very challenging, um, and it's definitely a change um, for our patients that are going through CAR T cell therapy. But most hospitals have adu- have adjusted um, to different ways to maintain relationships with their friends and fa- with friends and family of our patients, so that everyone can feel connected and feel like they have a real time. Um, view of what's going on for the patient. Now, when you when patients leave the hospital after CAR T cell therapy, some of these side effects can recur. So even though they've subsided, um, there is a period usually of about two to four weeks where you can have recurrent fevers or you can have recurrent confusion related to ongoing inflammation from the activity of these CAR T cells. Um, and so for that reason, the FDA has mandated that patients stay within a two-hour radius of the treating center for up to four weeks following CAR T cell therapy, and that patients cannot drive or operate heavy machinery for up to eight eight weeks following CAR T cell therapy. And so for many people, because CAR T cell therapy is complicated and requires um, very specialized care, um, uh, it's only offered in select centers across the country. And so for many patients, that that means staying in a hotel or a rented apartment uh, for a couple of weeks away from home um, during a during a time period of social distancing, and that can be difficult for um, for patients and their families uh, in order to uh, support them during this time. And we we appreciate that, and everyone's trying their hardest to figure out how to um, make this uh, as easy a transition as possible. Um, but once patients uh, do um, finish that four-week four period and they're not having any further uh, side effects, specifically fevers or other inflammatory symptoms or neurologic symptoms, that's when they can go back uh, to, to their homes if they're greater than two hours away, or that's when follow-up can, can be loosened uh, if the treating center is their local center. Um, and, uh, you know, mo- for, for many patients, for about 70 to 80 percent of patients, that means coming in to see their doctor, you know, once every three months for re- you know, routine labs, for a check-in, um, for intermittent um, scans to make sure that their cancer, which has hopefully responded positively to CAR T-cells, continues to respond. Um, but but uh, there are there are a proportion of patients that uh, do have after CAR T cell therapy um, prolonged lowering of their healthy blood cell counts. So patients can have recurrent lowering of their white blood cell count and require injections to help boost that white blood cell number. They can have lowering of their red blood cells or platelets and require transfusions of either one of those on an intermittent basis. And sometimes that lasts for for several months, and so that requires more frequent visits to the cancer center. And as we're doing more and more remotely, a lot of that requires um, having labs done locally and checking in afterwards to see if you indeed need to come to the cancer center for a transfusion or for a white blood cell booster. Um, But um, we don't totally understand why that happens for some patients, but for many patients that will get better over time. The only other long-term side effect that we have appreciated with CAR T cell therapy is that not only, especially CD19 CAR T cells, it's not only a CD19 a target on the cancerous B cells, but it's also a target on the, the healthy B cells of our immune system. And so these CAR T cells don't only kill the cancerous B cells, but they also attack some of our healthy B cells as well. And so as a result, after CAR T cell therapy, you, uh, patients do have 
um, uh, some immune suppression related to this attack on healthy B cells. The good news is, is that we can measure the proteins that B cells make, which are called immunoglobulins, and if they fall below a certain level, we can actually transfuse immunoglobulins to help boost a patient's immune system, which of course is important in a time like now. Um, and so for the, and so that's one of the other things that we have to follow for patients. Now, I think this all sounds, obviously, I've, I've, Dr. Leonard got to talk about all the positives of CAR T cells, and I had to dwell on, the, on some of the negatives. But I want to I wanna just really emphasize that this is, this is a really revolutionary therapy um, that is, you know, saving people's lives who did not have life-saving therapy options available to them before. And it's doing so with a single infusion and with, um, you know, two to four weeks of reversible side effects. Um, and so, you know, I've had patients, I had uh, one patient that was treated now three and a half years ago who remains in remission, and she was a self-employed, she ran a, she, she owned her own hair salon, and she was desperate of, of um, when she was thinking about a, a donor stem cell transplant as her only therapeutic option, she was desperate because she didn't know how she would be out of work for a whole year um, and support herself, but she came, CAR T-cells came along and she got CAR T-cells instead of a donor stem cell transplant, and as a result, um, she was actually back at work at six weeks. So she was only out of work for six weeks and has worked every day ever since for the past three and a half years and remains in remission. And so it's really, um, so although I had to focus on some of the negative aspects of it, um, I, I, you know, I do want to emphasize that it really has offered um, options to patients that we didn't have before. Um, and it's, it's uh, as Dr. Leonard said, there, you know, everyone, this is just, this is, this is the end of the beginning. Um, there are a number of new types of constructs, a number of new combinations, a number of new targets that are being tested, um, and this, this will undoubtedly further revolutionize care going forward. With that, I think we're ready to take some questions. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Jacobson. That that example, um, you know, is was so compelling to everybody. I think in terms of uh, demonstrating really how important this is, and 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 what this means to people to have access to CAR T cell therapy. So thank you so much, and as an excellent presentation, really outstanding. We are going to take questions. Just before we take questions, I'm going to say a few words about the services you can access from Cancer Care. You have two minutes, and then we're going to take questions. So please have your questions ready. And um, when I finish, uh, Crystal will explain to you how to cure for questions. So I wanted to first describe just the free services that you can access from Cancer Care. It's a national organization, and it's staffed primarily by oncology social workers. So the services we provide are counseling services, and both uh, we do offer both practical assistance as well, and we do offer financial assistance, both financial assistance from Cancer Care and our Copay Foundation. The financial assistance is for people in the United States. The other services are for people anyone can contact us uh, either calling our 800 number or going to our website and posting their question or concern. Um, so what do, why would you call Cancer Care? I suppose it might be the question you might ask. Um, we, we do uh, offer, there are many cancer organizations out there, so we do all offer services to help people coping with, with their cancer with, um, and coping with their treatments. And so many people will call us for assistance 
with how to talk with their healthcare team or how to talk to their employer or what to do when they're not able to work or how to talk to their children. We do have a Cancer Care for Kids program as well because um, many adults, it's hard for them to talk to their children about they're having cancer or feeling tired. So there are all different reasons that people call us. Some people do call for practical reasons, very practical uh, assistance for things. And um, we do have the service available. But the other thing I want to comment on is the importance of our telephone online support groups. Those have been increasingly important and have grown enormously um, over the years both telephone, so a support group over the telephone or online, um, because indeed um, we have this issue now of social distancing and people feeling, people have always felt alone when having cancer and somewhat isolated, but now it's a little bit more heightened for some people, not everyone. And for some people, being a member of a national telephone support group or an online support group can be very, very um, helpful in coping with dealing with the, the, the isolation they may feel with social distancing and, and, and hearing tips from each other and finding ways to, to manage in this, in this era that we're in right now. So I would say that these are all free services. They're all accessible to you. We have many more services. We also, of course, offer these education programs. And you can go to our website, www.cancercare.org, or you can call us at 800-813-4673. And at the end of today's program, you will be getting an evaluation form. We always love to hear your feedback, but that evaluation form also will include all the resources we can think of that were mentioned during the program, not only about cancer care, but other resources that we think would be of use to you. So with that being said, we do now have time for questions. I'm going to ask Crystal to go ahead, bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Crystal? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. And again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star and then one now. Well, thank you. And um, we have, I can see a lot of online questions coming in, so I'm going to start with Dr. Lennon for this uh, question. Um, first question, if you could address this, uh, uh, Dr. Leonard. Um, can you explain the difference between auto-transplant and CAR-T, and who would be a candidate for each treatment? Sure. So autotransplant or autologous stem cell transplant is basically a fancy way to give more chemotherapy. In that particular scenario, the patient has their, uh, their blood stem cells collected, again, also like a fancy blood donation, similar to what we talked about with the collection part of CAR T cells. Then in an autologous or from yourself stem cell transplant, the main therapy is a high doses of chemotherapy. And this, the own stem cells are given back after that chemotherapy in order to rescue the patient from the effects of the high dose chemotherapy. So uh, an autologous stem cell transplant, which is commonly done now in multiple myeloma, it's commonly done in certain forms of lymphoma, um, not so much in leukemia these days, um, that is really a fancy way of giving more chemotherapy. 
the CAR T cell kind of process as far as collecting the cells and giving some chemotherapy has some similarities. I think in, in general, um, there are some similarities in that the stem cells are collected. However, the treatment is really not the chemotherapy. There's a, I don't want to say a little bit, but a lower doses of chemotherapy given to help let those CAR T cells set up shop and go to work. Um, but basically, the treatment here is the immune cells rather than the chemotherapy. So CAR T cells are typically used in patients who have already had a stem cell transplant and the disease has come back in lymphoma, or in people where a stem cell transplant would not be a good idea, meaning that the, that chemotherapy wasn't working well, the disease was not really responsive, and so CAR T cells are, are available in that particular situation. Um, uh, there are some cases in leukemia where people will get CAR T cells and then go on and get an allogeneic stem cell transplant from some, someone else. So the leukemia situation is a little bit different as to what comes first and what might come after. But typically speaking in, in lymphoma, the CAR T cell is a therapy that is done where the, the, um, the autologous or from yourself stem cell transplant either has already happened or is really not a good idea because of the overall situation with the lymphoma. Now that said, uh, some of the ongoing trials are comparing CAR T cells to autologous stem cell transplant to see which one might be better in certain circumstances. Excellent, thank you. Um, so that's really um, uh, very important. Um, thank you. That's very helpful, I think, to the participants to hear this. Um, and we have another question from one of our online participants, um, and this one is for Dr. Jacobson. How widespread is CAR-T uh, available? Only in trials, can you address how this therapy may be available in other countries like Canada? Yeah, thank, thanks so much for that question. So um, as I had mentioned uh, before, CAR T cells, uh, there, and Dr. Leonard mentioned, there are two FDA-approved CAR T cells in the United States. Um, these uh, same products have been approved by other regulatory agencies in other countries, including um, within Europe, within the UK, um, within Canada, um, as well as within Australia, amongst others. Um, but some of the other countries where CAR T cells have been approved, there's been a delay in figuring out um, how to fund um, how to fund the payment for CAR T cells because one of the things we one of the other I guess toxicities of CAR T cells is the financial toxicity which I didn't which I did not address but for even though this is a single infusion it's a very expensive therapy and so some some of the regulatory agencies haven't figured out quite yet how how to fund it especially when um, when uh, medical care is provided through the government. Uh, that being said, um, within, I can speak specifically within the United States, um, where CAR T cells are generally being offered um, at centers that perform stem cell transplant, whether it be autologous stem cell transplant or allogeneic stem cell transplant, because CAR T cells requires a lot of the same infrastructure and um, uh, specialized knowledge that uh, transplant does require. Um, and there are some select centers across the country that are not transplant centers that do provide CAR T cell therapy. But it is limited um, to, um, to to a smaller subset of 
medical centers across the country. Um, but that being said, um, you know, we have capacity to, to treat thousands of patients in the United States a year. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't think that we are treating as many patients as would be eligible for CAR T cell therapy. And whether that's because um, patients live far away from a center that does CAR T cell therapy or whether it's referral patterns uh, remains to be elucidated. Um, some of the countries that don't, like Australia um, and Canada, that don't have um, that don't ha have all the details of how this therapy, the payment for this therapy, can be worked out, have been sending patients to the United States for treatment. I, I know, I'm sure Dr. Leonard has as well, but we have treated a number of patients from Australia as well as from Canada um, with CAR T cells, um, where they come here for the month and then they go back to their respective countries at the end of the month, um, but all of these countries are, are, um, have approval processes in place and have, uh, are starting to develop funding mechanisms that will uh, increase the, the availability of CAR T cells within their countries. Thank you very much. Thank you. And um, I think we have someone on the telephone who wants to ask a question as well. Thank you. Our first question comes from Gisela S. Your line is open. Hi, I was wondering on a patient with mental cell lymphoma stage four, high risk, previous treatments including hyper-CVAT, a combination of Venclexta and Ibrutinib have not put the patient in full remission and a stem cell transplant. Okay, okay thank you for that question, um, Gazella. And, uh, uh, Dr. Leonard, do you want to address that question? Well, that was around a specific patient details with mantle cell lymphoma. I'll just say that um, mantle cell lymphoma is one of the types of lymphomas that tends to fall in between indolent and aggressive lymphomas. Uh, can be a little bit of both, um, but it is something that it is a type of lymphoma that tends to come back over time. It's treated with different chemotherapy drugs. Uh, it is treated with some oral pills. Uh, it can be treated with stem cell transplant. Um, up until recently, it has not really been one that's for which CAR T cells have been used. There were some data presented from a, a group uh, uh, a, a number of different centers working together um, that showed that CAR T cells could be effective in patients with relapsed uh, mantle cell lymphoma. Uh, this was not a comparative study, meaning all the patients had uh, the same treatment, so we, it wasn't compared to a different treatment. But that said, similar to the aggressive other aggressive lymphoma types, uh, there were patients who had uh, fairly, uh, I would say, uh, impressive responses to this treatment. Um, it, again, wasn't all of the patients, but it was a subset of the patients. So uh, that said, we need more follow-up of that, that study, um, but it is something that suggests that it may be um, a type of lymphoma where CAR T cells could have value, and it would not surprise me if there uh, are uh, the possibilities um, once all of these data are reviewed that uh, in the future CAR T cells may be an approved treatment for some patients with mantle cell lymphoma. Again, that's not one of the standard or approved treatments today, but something that at least uh, initially looks uh, quite promising. And again, we'll see uh, in the future outside of clinical trials whether or not that will be more generally available. 
Thank you. Um, and there is another question on a prosola tumor. Um, someone's asked, can you, con uh, Dr. Um, Jacobson, can you comment on the state of the art of um, a CAR T cell therapy for metastatic prostate cancer? So that would be more a solid tumor. If you could just comment on that in general in terms of. Sure. Um, so right now um, there are uh, clinical trials of CAR T cells uh, for prostate cancer that are ongoing. Um, they're targeting different antigens than, than Dr. Leonard talked about or than I talked about with myeloma. So instead of targeting CD19 for B cell malignancies or targeting BCMA um, for multiple myeloma, um, there are trials that are targeting a, a protein on the surface of a prostate cancer cell called PSMA. Um, but these are in early, early phase clinical trials i think you know one of the the there are several there are several pro, there are several um obstacles to overcome with some solid tumors uh, for CAR T cells. Um, one is getting the T cells into the tumor itself because the, the, the tumor um, tends to repel the immune system for some of these solid tumors, so, so that's one of the problems. Another problem is finding a target on the surface of the tumor cell um, that isn't present on normal healthy tissues within the body, such that when you have an immune attack on that, on, on that uh, protein, it doesn't cause uh, side effects uh, from an immune attack on other parts of the body. And then finally, having a protein on the surface of those uh, tumor cells that isn't, that is important for that cell to survive is on, and is, is present on all or most of those of the tumor cells um, and isn't easily lost um, or, or mutated so that to avoid um, that immune attack. Um, and so that's been a challenge for solid tumors, but I think we're learning um, an enormous amount from from using CAR T cells in blood cancers that are allowing us to come up with the tools to overcome some of these challenges. And so as in prostate cancer, we're starting to see clinical trials emerging with, uh, you know, with um, promising targets. Um, and uh, those, are, those are just opening now at uh, centers across the country. Excellent, thank you. Um, and a question for Dr. Leonard. Um, does the body regenerate altered T cells? Do they stay in the body long term? So that is a that's an excellent question. So these T cells are um, are are generated from the patient or removed from the patient. They are uh, rejuvenated or stimulated outside of the patient in the laboratory, and then they are infused back. It turns out that when we see those T cells staying in the patient's body for a longer period of time, that correlates, as you might think, with the outcome being better, meaning that if the, the T cells hang around for a longer time, one would think they're around longer to fight the, the tumor cells, and therefore the treatment may work better. On the other hand, um, if they don't hang around too long, one would think that the treatment is not going to work as well because the T cells uh, go away. Uh, so it turns out that they can stay in the body for an extended period of time. We're still learning about what factors may contribute to uh, the T cells, number one, having more T cells, having the T cells grow more and kind of get revved up even more while they're in the person. Um, as opposed to kind of winding down and dying off. So that is an important part of 
this whole process that we're learning more about, and we're also learning about what other factors we can do, perhaps co combinations with other drugs or differences in the engineering that goes into the CAR T-cell to try to make all of this work better, uh, including trying to keep the T-cells hanging around for a longer period of time. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so another question from our online participants really asking, I have to say, amazing questions here. Um, so it says, so this one um, for Dr. Jacobson, has research shown how long after failure can patients start a new line of therapy? So, yeah, that's, that is a very good question. Um, and so I think... Um, you know, once once someone has clear uh, progression of their lymphoma after CAR T cell therapy, um, we, we often try to start patients on treatment very very quickly um, because we know that these right now what the diseases we're talking about are fast growing uh, B cell malignancies, um, and to get people started on a treatment very quickly is often necessary. So there is no uh, minimum, minimum amount of time. Um, I think the, we do want to make sure, obviously, that people have recovered from the side effects of their previous therapies um, and that it's safe to start the next therapy. So those are the same considerations we would have for moving one, from one therapy to the next. That being said, I think that, you know, it's important to understand that, as Dr. Leonard just, um, just described, this is a living drug. And so these cells do persist and, continue, and may continue to work uh, for some time after the infusion. And so there are a proportion of patients who get a follow-up scan at one month after their CAR T-cell infusion and will have a partial response to that therapy, meaning we still see evidence on the PET scan of some, you know, presumably viable um, cancer cells. Um, but if we, at that, at that point, if it's a partial response, um, about 40, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of patients will have that response deepen over time, meaning, um, you know, whether it's because the CAR T cells continue to work over the next couple of months or whether it's because that, those were tumor cells that were destined to die in that time frame regardless, um, we do see that for 30 to 40 percent of people, um, their next scan, which we would often do about two months later, can show a complete response. And so we, we often don't uh, react at that point. So, again, I preface the beginning of this by saying that once you have clear evidence of disease progression, then getting people started on the next therapy quickly is important. Um, but that um, when, if you're seeing a partial response, it is okay to sit on that partial response for a couple of months um, to see if it develops into a complete response in the best-case scenario or if the patient ultimately progresses and, and then should go on to the next therapy. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Um, and then um, another question uh, for Dr. Leonard. Um, uh, how are T cells changed to fight cancer? What does it mean that they are genetically altered in the lab? So I know you address this in part, but if you could say a bit more about this. Sure. So the idea is that they are, this is a form of a type of gene therapy, meaning a, a gene is introduced into these T cells. They are what we would term genetically modified to essentially have 
this particular chimeric antigen receptor, which is basically one way of thinking about it is kind of like an arm, where this arm uh, or many arms around the surface of the cell uh, grab onto tumor cells. They tend to only grab onto the tumor cells that have the target. So in the case of, uh, of a CD19 CAR T cell, um, this T cell would be genetically modified to have this arm or these arms on the surface of the cell that the hand of the arm would only bind to CD19. So it would only bind to the cells that had the CD19 marker on them. And in the case of a B-cell lymphoma, that would be a marker or a protein that is on the surface of the tumor cells. And that arm is, is, has some properties to it that essentially make it more prone to when it shakes the hand or binds the CD20 with the hand of the um, of the tumor cell, um, that that stimulates the cell to grow and to get excited and to make an immune response and to release all of those what we call uh, immune proteins that Dr. Jacobson mentioned that also are associated with some side effects like fever and immune reactions. And so the idea is that while the cells are in the laboratory, they grow but they also are uh, genetically modified to essentially have um, this feature to them that allows them to better bind to tumor cells and also to get turned on by those tumor cells to make a stronger immune response. So the genetic material is specifically chosen to have those features, to recognize that CD19 and to stimulate the immune system when that, when that cell is turned on. Well, thank you. Thanks very much. And another question, and this having to do with a different type of cancer than a blood cancer, Dr. Jacobson, are there any early study results indicating whether CAR T cell therapy may be effective for treating non-small cell lung cancer? So again, that's kind of a different area than blood cancers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, um, and Many of the solid tumors are more common than the blood cancers that we're talking about today, and um, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had um, therapies as effective as these are in some of the more common cancers? Um, and we're all eagerly awaiting that. Um, the there are a number of different so there CAR T cells aren't the only type of cell therapy that can be um, developed uh, for. Um, uh, for different types of cancer. Um, and so uh, you know, we, we, I talked about some of the limitations of developing CAR T cells for solid tumors um, that, that I'm very optimistic we'll be able to overcome in the coming years. Um, but there are other types of cell therapies that can be developed as well. And so some of the very promising um, uh, other types of cell therapies involve engineering T cells with a different kind of receptor. Instead of a chimeric antigen receptor, it's something called a T cell receptor uh, against a specific a specific tumor protein. Um, and then there are also something called tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, where we actually take a biopsy of someone's tumor and isolate the, the T cells from that tumor and grow and activate them and then give them back to the patient in hopes that the, those those T cells that inhabit that tumor can actually help fight the tumor. And those are all, you know, both engineered T cell receptor T cells as well as tumor infiltrating lymphocytes are in clinical trials right now in a variety of solid tumors, including um, non-small cell and small cell lung cancer. And so um, these are things that are entering, that are in clinical trials right now. Um, I'm not aware of 
um, of results from those trials, um, but we can we can hope and anticipate that um, we will we'll, that um, either this generation of trials or a next generation of trials will yield promising results. I do want to emphasize that the CAR T cells that we've been talking about in blood cancers are actually the second generation. So the first generation of CAR T cells, which looked very very good in animal models of disease when they were given to patients, did not did not yield promising clinical results, but Thankfully, the field didn't give up on this therapy, and they developed second-generation CAR T cells, learning from what they, what didn't work in the first generation. And now we're talking about you know two FDA two and probably three or four by the end of the year FDA-approved products um, for blood cancers. And so I think we're I think. I think that even if this generation of clinical trials in solid tumors is not the answer, we will learn from them and get closer to the answer moving forward. Well, that's very helpful to hear that. Thank you. That's excellent. And I, in concluding, um, Dr. Leonard and Dr. Jacobson, do you want to leave the audience with any takeaway that from today's program that you think is really important for them to 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 be aware of? Well, I would just uh, make two points. One is uh, the importance of clinical trials. Everything that we've talked about here today is because patients participated in clinical trials, and this is not only advanced knowledge and, and helped us figure out how these treatments would work um, but also and make them better, but also uh, in some cases, not all unfortunately, but in some cases uh, had significant benefit to patients that had uh, few other options. The other point I would make is just uh, the importance of talking with your doctor about your own situation because the, the treatments we've talked about today are very appropriate for certain categories of patients but are definitely not the right thing, at least today, for other categories of patients. And so it's really an individualized discussion and decision whether or not these are things someone should think about or whether they're something that are really uh, uh, to put on the back burner or are not even going to be needed at any point in the future because there are other effective treatments. So those would be my two take-home points. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Dr. Jacobson, do you want to add to that as well? Yeah, I, 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 I think those are excellent take-home points, and I would um, just also emphasize, I mean, although, um, you know, uh, this is, uh, we were able to talk about this in a one-hour call today, um, is really to stress that, that this is a complicated therapy with, with some complicated side effects, and, um, and for that reason, having a, a discussion with your doctor um, about whether it's, a, whether it's appropriate both for you and for your type of cancer. Is, uh, is is really important. We can we can generalize quite a bit on a call like this, but um, all of these decisions are really individualized. Excellent point. Wow, this is a, this has been a phenomenal call. I want to thank our speakers. You've been outstanding, really. And I also want to thank our participants, both online and on the telephone, who really asked such really terrific questions today. Um, really amazing questions. And as we conclude the program today, I want to wrap it up and. Um, I want to remind all of you that um, we recognize that many of you have questions that um, I have still have not been answered, that you're in queue, and so I want to give you some suggestions of how to get your questions answered. And I think um, our speakers have been quite eloquent in stressing the importance, of course, going back to your healthcare team to ask your questions of your healthcare team. They know you the very best. But we also know that you like to go to credible resources to get information. And what credible resources mean is often going to a National Cancer Institute uh, website, um, www.cancer.gov. 
excellent website to get information. They have a live chat feature as well. And again, you'll get that information in your evaluation form. And there are a number of different uh, organizations that partner with us on today's program. They will provide to you as well because they all very carefully vet their websites. They actually, for medical information, um, they have to be up to date. First of all, they have to be, first of all, from NCI centers. They do need to be in 2020, but in actually this particular month, because again, as you heard from our speakers, research is constantly going on and you want to get those updates, absolutely. Um, and so we will provide you with excellent resources to go to. But then again, go back to your treating healthcare team with the information. What you've learned today, take it back to your healthcare team, see how it applies best to you. I think that's really most important. And for those of you who wish to pursue services from Cancer Care, you can simply call us or visit our website, and we're happy to be of help to you. And, um, and most importantly, as we conclude today, we really don't want any of you to feel alone. Although it is normal to feel alone, it is quite normal to feel alone, it's even more normal to feel alone in an area where you're practicing social distancing at this era right now and at this, in this world that we live in at the moment. And so I think that, uh, so that is quite normal, but be sure that you work with your healthcare team around that. Be sure you know when they're available, like evenings and weekends. And also think about getting a support mechanism for yourself um, in addition to family and friends, um, whom you may speak to on the phone, in addition to some of the nonprofit organizations that exist out there. Cancer Care is one of them, but there are many others out there, and we will give you a listing of those as well that really can provide you that the voice on the end of the phone to talk to you um, when you're feeling particularly alone or concerned. We really don't want any of you to think that there are no resources out there for you. Um, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.